Hi everyone, I'm Kyle Dyer, and welcome to Colorado Inside Out on this Friday, July 7th. Hope you all had a great week celebrating Independence Day with your family and friends. Uh, tonight, our freedoms will come up in several of our conversations. But first, let me introduce you to our panel this week. Patty Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward. David Kopel, research director at the Independence Institute. Eric Sonderman, columnist with Colorado Politics and the Denver and Colorado Springs Gazettes. And also Tyrone Glover, criminal defense and civil rights attorney. Uh, let's pick up where we left off last week. The Supreme Court decisions, the 303 creative design uh, decision did not come down until after we had taped our show last week. In that 6-3 decision, the court says, the First Amendment prohibits the state of Colorado from telling a website designer that she must take on all clients, even if she doesn't want to because of her religious beliefs. There is a lot to talk about, not only with the decision itself, but there are many other things around this case. Patty, I'll start with you. Well, last week I was sitting here talking about a decision that involved the web, and that was Counterman versus Colorado, where the threats were made on the web. So they weren't as real as if they were made in person or through the mails. This is interesting because it also involves a web product. So what the court is saying is what um, is that you can't, it would violate the web designer's First Amendment rights to make her create a message that she didn't agree with. But, you know, if you're a tent person for a wedding, can, this doesn't mean we hope that you can refuse to put up a tent. What makes designing a website such a First Amendment issue? That's one of the questions I have. And we have a court that really needs to grapple with how the web has changed First Amendment rights. The other thing that's come up is that she never had anyone ask her to design a same-sex wedding site before she filed the complaint against Colorado. And then mysteriously, someone filed allegedly a request for a same-sex wedding thing. But as it turns out, and this is part of the, the case, if you look, the person listed on that, on that form, he says he never did it. He's married to a woman, never asked for a same-sex wedding thing. So there are a lot of questions about why the Supreme Court had to waste all its time on a hypothetical case and there's somewhere a fraudulent request. It is so weird that this is a case that went before the highest court in the country. Well, not, not at all. Um, the, the, the state of Colorado uh, persecuted uh, cake artist Jack Phillips for years and years, including after the persecution lost at the Supreme Court. They still kept going for years. Okay. So this web designer prudently filed what is called a pre-enforcement challenge. That is, rather than wait for the government to come after me and put me through the ringer for years, I will ask a court for a declaratory judgment that this law is invalid as applied to me. The whole uh, little story thought up by uh, the New Republic and then that the Patty was referencing and got spread around in Colorado didn't have anything to do with the legal merits of the case. The law said that if you post on your website, just the message you want her to say is, I, I'm, this is a website for, I'm going to do web, web design for people's weddings, and I'll get very personally involved and tell your story, but I don't want to do gay weddings. Merely posting that was illegal under the Colorado law. Eric, your thoughts on this case? I wrote a column a number of months ago about this case, before it was decided, talking about sort of the death of what I call live and let live liberalism, which used to be this notion of tolerance. And I just, 
you know, I think Lori Smith on the merits is as wrong as can be in terms of her view, views, whether they're religious or political or whatever, on gay rights, gay marriage, the whole thing. But I do think in this country you have a right to be wrong, and sometimes we ought to respect that, that right to be wrong. I think when you start heading down the path of compelled speech, that is a dangerous path to run down. And I would just sort of say, let's substitute or turn the case on its head and pretend that the web designer in this case was gay and that the client who came to that web designer was, let's say, the, the whack jobs at the Hillsborough Baptist Church. Should they be able to compel this gay web designer to produce a website for them with their hateful message? The obvious answer to that is no. Tyrone, you've been patiently awaiting. Yeah, and just to address the last point, we have a rich precedent uh, at the Supreme Court in jurisprudence of carve-outs for things like hate speech, true threats, those are not protected under the First Amendment. Yeah, you cannot be compelled to put out hate speech as part of uh, your, your, your business. What this ultimately comes down to is a business now has a constitutional right to refuse to serve members of a protected class, right? I don't understand how you can serve uh, folks from these protected classes and, and uh, gay people without doing gay weddings, without condoning or uh, things that actually are part of their you know, sexual uh, orientation and identity. And from the very beginning, this whole case really was agenda-driven. It was brought by a religious advocacy group, the same folks that were behind uh, the Masterpiece Cake Shop. And to tell me that the Supreme Court, the Tenth Circuit and the Supreme Court would have taken standing on a case where there was no actual plaintiff or actual uh, client, or just purely on hypotheticals, where they were essentially uh, given false pretenses to even bring the case and let it get all the way up to the highest case, uh, um, court in the land. Yeah, I'm not buying it. And what this ultimately stands for is that now these folks have a constitutional right to refuse to serve those members. Well, I just wanted to say, it's not like the Supreme Court has to take every case. They don't. They pick and choose. So when you're talking about an agenda, they chose to take this one that didn't have an actual complaint, except a fake one. And that's not a web hoax, David. That's in the court filings. The, it's clear beyond doubt that the mere posting of, on the web of who she wanted to serve violated Colorado law. The Colorado Attorney General said, I'm willing to prosecute her for that. You know, we're not going to disclaim that. That's standing. When you've got a law you want, that stops you from doing something, and if you go ahead and do it anyway, and the, attorney, and the law enforcement officer says, sure, that could be prosecuted, th that's a classic case of standing. That's not what I said. What I said is the whole thing about the complaint that was allegedly filed because someone wanted to have a gay oh, wedding I, site, I, I agree. that's not a web hoax. That's real that it's a fake in that filing. But it had nothing to do with the outcome of the case. Yeah, that, that, was a, that was a minor no, thing but in the trial court, and at the Supreme Court, that wasn't an issue, no, and nothing was predicated on that. The Supreme Court chose to take mm -hmm. a case where there had never been anyone requesting that. Right. Sure, if it had been yeah. fine for them to take that case, if they, oh, we take these cases all the time when there's no actual uh, aggrieved plaintiff, then why are they misrepresenting? Why are they fabricating this whole situation? Because they knew that they had to, to even get through the door. And rather than putting the brakes on it and not granting cert on this, 
they continued on, you know, handed down this terrible ruling because from the very beginning there was an agenda to make law on this particular circumstance. The Supreme, Court, the Supreme Court takes cases all the time involving pre-enforcement challenges against freedom of speech. That's been going on for decades and, and properly so. If you want to speak, and the law says you can't say the words you want, you don't have to get prosecuted before you can raise the case and go sometimes to the highest court of the land. I mean, is there a situation that we're aware of where from the outset they've misrepresented the facts, have been found to misrepresent the facts, and that still made its way through the Tenth Circuit and the Supreme Court? Mm -hmm. I can't think of any. Yeah. I would just note, I'll let the lawyers here debate the standing issue. The decision is the decision of the court. This is now two decisions of the court, both emanating out of Colorado, the Masterpiece Cake Shop ruling and now the 303 Creative ruling. And maybe it's a message to Colorado. I'll disagree with uh, my friend Tyrone here, and I think probably with Patty as well on this. You know, yes, this is an agenda-driven court, but sometimes they may get it right. You have to give them the possibility of on occasion getting it right. And in this case, they got it right in my assessment. And maybe Colorado has been over eager, over aggressive in trying to shut down conscientious speech of people that simply aren't in sync with the majority viewpoint. Okay. Thank you all. Good discussion. <laughs> Also, since our show aired last week, there has been a lot of reaction to the Supreme Court ruling that strikes down affirmative action admission programs at colleges in this country. David, I'll start with you. So at Harvard, a black who was in the, they, they, they split, they categorized their, in, their applicants into 10 groups, you know, one, one through 10. If you were in the fourth lowest group at Harvard and you were black, you had a higher chance of getting in than if you were in the highest group and you were Asian. Now, Harvard and these other schools, racist schools, have long had racial quota systems under various guises. And these were quotas too. They weren't exactly, we have to get to 112 offers, but they were keeping very close track of percentages. And year after year, every color group in Harvard's mind gets admitted at almost exactly the same rate year after year. And I think the court is right that if you're a federally funded school and have to comply with the 14th Amendment, which guarantees the equal protection of the law to everyone, uh, that's illegal. Eric. I don't think there's any denying the facts on this case. I mean, I know there was some, some dispute on the first subject, but on the this case, there's no denying that Asian Americans were discriminated against at Harvard, at the University of North Carolina, as they are at other schools. Now, you can argue that whether on its merits, that's okay, but it's hard to argue that there was not discrimination. As the Chief Justice, not on this case, but on a case a few years ago, rather simply but straightforwardly put it is the only way, and this is a paraphrase, the only way to stop discriminating on the basis of race is to stop discriminating on the basis of race. I'm sure creative universities of very bright people, Harvard and others, will come up with all kinds of new workarounds here. But it struck me as a small blow for the, con for the idea of a society that is not colorblind, but maybe a slight bit less color sensitive. The challenge over increasingly in this country that's not to say there's all the racial healing there needs to be, far from it. 
but it is much more a case of economic class than it is of skin color. And that's where these programs ought to be going, is targeting people who are from disadvantaged backgrounds, regardless of skin color, regardless of ethnicity. Tyrone. I think Justice Jackson put it best when she said, deeming race irrelevant in law does not make it so in life. Okay, this idea that we live in a colorblind society, we're even close there too, is just ludicrous. We don't, racism is not over, and we need checks that work, right? We saw during COVID, you know, regardless of economic class, who were being admitted to and oftentimes becoming more sick and uh, having more fatal outcomes, black Americans, okay? Uh, we have, as Justice Jackson also pointed out in her dissent, a legacy of um, discrimination in housing and in, in, in medical treatment, uh, infancy mortality rates, um, discrimination in policing, we can go on and on. I could spend this whole show on it, right? And just saying that it's not so does not make it somehow magically go away. This effectively shuts down racially conscious admissions. This idea that universities can now turn around and get creative, um, the, the justice has also shut that down as well. And don't get me started on the military academy exceptions why is that exception an exception? It's, it, it's, it's really baseless, and this is just a terrible opinion, top to bottom. Patty. Well, I will agree with most of what Tyrone said, and let me also echo what Eric said with economic class is something that truly has to be taken into account here, too, because that is an increasingly tough dividing line in this country. But I also want to say tough week for Harvard, because now they're, hitting the, with the, they're hit with the lawsuit about admissions to children of alumni. And I have to say, that's a lawsuit I could get behind. I think if you want to broaden the number of people at Harvard, that's the way to do it. All right. The Colorado Supreme Court has ruled last, week's, uh, last, ruled last week that defendants facing first-degree murder charges are now entitled to bail before this recent ruling. Those facing first-degree murder charges would be held in jail with, you know, without bail, awaiting trial. Now, this has kind of turned this upside down, and judges are kind of rethinking their cases. As my understanding of this case, and I'll try to be crisp here, it comes out of a case, Colorado v. Smith, and it is an, I think, unintended consequence of Colorado getting rid of the death penalty. I personally support the idea of getting rid of the death penalty. I think that is a punishment that long ago outlived any utility it had. But I don't necessarily support this unintended consequence of that, uh, that decision on the part of the state. Uh, there are people, I mean, let's look at these three hoodlums in Jefferson County with the, you know, the rock throwing, they killed a young woman, Alexa Bartell. Should they be out on the streets? Yes, I know they're innocent until proven guilty and uh, all the rest, but should they be able to make bail and should they be out on the streets awaiting trial? For every one of those three hoodlums in Jefferson County, there are too many other people out there committing the worst kind of violent crime and I think society has a legitimate interest in keeping them behind bars, yes, both before trial and then after conviction. Tyrone, as a criminal defense attorney, your thoughts on this? Look, we don't have judicial homicide anymore in the state of Colorado, right? State-sanctioned killing is no longer a form of punishment. And so the antiquated bond schedule that goes along with that of a no-bond hold, that is gone as well. This idea that folks who are charged with really serious 
homicide, first degree murder type offenses are going to somehow just be let out on PR bonds, it's just not going to be the case, right? Personal cognizance bond means you don't post anything. At the end of the day, what are we seeing? We're seeing $100 million bonds on one of these homicides. I think it's a multi-million dollar bond on the three uh, kids who were, were, were th with, with the, the rock throwing. So it's gonna be hashed out exactly what's reasonable. I think it's good. We got rid of judicial homicide. Time to get rid of everything that flows and outgrowth from it. Okay, Patty. Well, so far, judges have figured out how to get around this unintended consequence, which is, in the Jeffco cases, huge, huge levels for bond. The alleged murdering dentist, you know, a huge, huge bond. But it is an interesting issue, and it filters down because there are also complaints about people who haven't been charged with murder, with, with arguably lesser crimes that are getting out fairly easily. And so looking at all of that is going to come up in the next few years. In Colorado now, you can be held, bail can be denied under the following circumstances. When the court finds that the public will be placed in significant peril and, the, and you have one of these situations, the person committed the violent crime while they were on probation or parole for another violent crime, or they committed a violent crime while they were on bail pending the previous disposition. So if you get out, on, if you perpetrate murders, then you get bailed out, and then you perpetrate more murders, then the second time, then, then you don't get bail. And the third time is if you have uh, two previous felony convictions or one felony conviction for a crime of violence. Other than that, uh, a person by our Constitution, I think is as accurately interpreted by the Colorado Supreme Court, is entitled to, to be bailed. Uh, this week we celebrated freedom in this country with the 4th of July. I want to revisit the idea of freedom of speech, which we talked about a little bit earlier. Under a new Colorado law, state employees can speak out against wrongdoings and file claims with the Department of Labor and Employment without the fear of retaliation, which has happened. Tyrone, uh, let's start with you regarding this case. I mean, I think that this is, is a great case. Um, we want folks who are working for our state um, to be vested and to be committed to the communities and the, the state and the, and, and the cities and the municipalities where they work and not have to sit on the sidelines, you know, any time uh, that there is an issue they feel passionately about. So I think that this was a great uh, victory for, for free speech, for uh, employees, and um, yeah, I wholly support it. Patty, well, I have a good example with Carl. Christian Krumpholz, a local cartoonist, did a feature for us in May of Casa Bonita. He got hit by a trademark infringement, a cease and desist letter from Etsy, urged by the owners of Casa Bonita because he dared to draw a picture of Casa Bonita, sell it on Etsy, as he does with all his great art of Denver. And he is now being threatened by the people who made fun of Casa Bonita in a cartoon 20 years ago. Which, and they drew a Casa Bonita in that cartoon. Right. That's such an interesting case. Good article you wrote this week with a lot of detail. Thanks. David. Um, I, I agree with Tyrone about uh, Senate Bill 23111, uh, which, among other things, says that state and local government employees can't be punished for their off-the-job political activities. You, you, maybe you can't engage in those activities while you're on the job, but if you're, you're not at work, you, you should have the same freedom of speech rights as, as everyone else. And I would just say, sort of as a summation, you know, it's Fourth of July week here, a few days after the fact. Free uh, speech is, you know, right there in uh, the, the very First Amendment, and it gets 
more tenuous and people around like us around this panel and Lord knows plenty of others can have debates whether it's about the 303 creative decision or whatever and the applications of free speech but I think we'd as a country be all better off to sort of recommit to those fundamental principles uh, what's the line you know I may disagree with you intensely but I will defend to my death your right to your right to say it I took that earlier to mean your right to be wrong but without re revisiting uh, that particular issue uh, there is a growing intolerance on both the left side of the divide and the right side of the divide. They are equally to blame here, and let's recommit to that First Amendment. Now it's time to go down the line and have our panelists talk about something that they've witnessed this week that was a high or a low. We'll start with the lows. Patty. A King Supers employee in Centennial saw people stealing $500 worth of hair products and grooming aids, followed them out, videotaped them getting in the car, posted it, wound up losing his job. You're not supposed to interfere because of safety of people in, a, in the store if you see a crime being committed. But he posted this just so people could identify the thieves. He lost his job with King Supers. Okay, David? Well, a good thing correcting an ongoing long time low was the July 4th ruling from the Federal District Court in Louisiana against the federal government and White House censorship scheme that's been going on for years to suppress truthful information on social media, and like Twitter, Facebook, and all those kinds of things. For example, censoring people who, who were saying in October 2020 that these school shutdowns are having terrible effects on learning for children, or who also, which is true. And we're also saying other truthful things, as it turned out, like the COVID vaccine uh, is helpful against the worst symptoms and, and dying of COVID, but it doesn't really prevent transmission or infection. And uh, kudos to the court for shutting down the really largest censorship scheme that's, that's existed in this country's history. Okay, all right. I wanted to talk about this a couple weeks ago. I'll come back to it now. In Aurora Public Schools, the whole dust up between former superintendent Rico Munn and a couple members of that school board, allegations from these members of the school board that uh, Superintendent Munn was not adequately black or sufficiently black or black enough. Uh, this whole silly idea, dated idea, that because of your skin color that dictates how you're supposed to think and that skin color somehow deprives people of all the agency that they would otherwise have to be their individual person. Uh, Rico Munn deserved better and all of us deserve better. Okay. Agree about Rico. Um, July 4th weekend, 22 mass shootings, 20 dead, 126 injured. All right. Tired of hearing that this is inevitable in the only developed country where this happens regularly. I understand there's a right under the Second Amendment, but there's also a right to, to life and be able to enjoy your Fourth of July weekend without uh, fear of taking a bullet. Mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. I agree. All right, can we end on a positive note? I can, because uh, if you got rained out on the 4th of July, great events this weekend. You've got the Black Arts Festival, Viva Streets is coming back, and a wonderful lowrider show at the Denver Art Museum. That's fun. July 7th. 1928, for the first time in human history, sliced bread was sold by the Chillicothe Baking Company in Missouri uh, using the, the bread slicing machine invented by Audro Frederick Rowetter. Thank you, Mr. Rowetter. <laughs> okay, Eric. A bit of trivia there, I love it. I'm gonna give a shout out to you, Kyle. Uh, when not doing this show, as an independent producer, you have 
been the inspiration behind some uh, a film that's coming out this week when Colorado went major league mm -hmm. about the history of the Rockies and when the Rockies first came to town and it premieres uh, later this week and good for you. Thank you, Tyrone. Uh, incarcerated folks in the Department of Corrections here in Colorado can now reduce their prison sentences by earning college degrees, secondary degrees, graduate degrees. Um, I think what we know about recidivism is, you know, strong relationships and being gainfully uh, employed are the two biggest indicators about whether you will recidivate. And so I think giving these folks incentives to get not only BAs, but masters and even PhDs just sets uh, our whole community up and uh, gives us a much stronger workforce. So, and also I think the, the Pell Grant eligibility is also being restored so folks uh, can get these degrees and actually get some financing for them as well. That is good. All right, to play off of Eric and a little bit of David with the history, it was this week, 32 years ago on July the 5th, that Colorado received a Major League Baseball team. That is the day the announcement was happening. So as Eric was mentioning, I have been working on a documentary, but it's really about the can-do spirit of this community. We were told no over and over again, Denver's never gonna get a Major League team, but the people in this community stuck with their guns and they really made this happen. And our city, our state, I'd say our region are forever changed because what we have at 20th and Blake, not only getting together for games and with friends, the fireworks show last week. So yes, Eric, there is a community premiere that is free next week, the 13th at McGregor Square. Um, our city and the people here have done a lot of good because they've worked together. So hopefully this is just the beginning of whatever the next thing is. Thank you, panel. Thank you for joining us this week. We appreciate if you're watching us on your device or listening to the podcast. You can watch Colorado Inside Out anytime on YouTube or pbs12.org as well. I will see you next week here on PBS 12. Have a great week.